Hello, welcome to this episode of Great Conversations. It's my privilege this afternoon to welcome to the Great Conversations studio, Mary Murphy. Mary is an associate professor at Indiana University in the Department of Psychology and Brain Science. She is also a associate vice chancellor Vice Provost, I hope I gave you a promotion <laughs> of diversity and inclusion. Mary Murphy, welcome to Great Conversations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for making time in your schedule to visit with us today and to talk about this incredibly important work uh, that you're doing in higher education. Thank you. Will you tell privilege. our viewing audience a bit about yourself and a bit mm -hmm. about your latest work? Okay, so um, I'm a professor in the Department of Psychology. I'm trained as a social psychologist, and I trained with some of the great um, social psychologists in the country who really focused on understanding student experience from students' perspectives. Um, I studied with Claude Steele, who was the father of stereotype threat research, um, really trying to understand the situational cues and the environment that signal to people whether they're valued and respected or likely to be devalued and disrespected in academic settings, and how those feelings of belonging and respect actually translate to motivation and performance in the classroom. Um, I also studied with Carol Dweck um, in the last years of my graduate training at Stanford. And there we started to think about mindset um, and the idea of the fixed and the growth mindset. Not just the way it had been studied for about 20 years as a feature of a student's psychology, what they believe about intelligence. Is it fixed and can't be changed? Or is it malleable and can be developed and expanded by applying the right strategies, seeking help, having a mentor, those sorts of things? Um, so for 25 years, it had really been looked at as a quality of students' own beliefs. And how when I adopt a fixed mindset for myself about intelligence or ability, how that affects the way I respond to challenges, negative feedback, how that sort of shows up in terms of my motivation in the classroom and how it affects my performance. So Carol and I had the idea to actually focus not just on the student's psychology, which is really important, but actually the learning environment itself. So how is it that the learning environment communicates these fixed and growth mindset cultures? And how can we as faculty actually create growth mindset cultures that will spur the motivation and best performance out of all students? Um, and so we focused on that for the last, let's say, about nine or 10 years. Um, and that is where um, the most recent work has actually focused. And the research is impactful and so enlightening in a variety of ways. I know for my reading, what was uh, most, uh, uh, most of a standout, if you mm -hmm. will, from the findings in the summary was that, Mary, it didn't matter if it was a tenured full-time mm -hmm. professor who'd been there a long time, right. a new teacher. It didn't matter male, female. It didn't matter cultural affiliation. Mm -hmm. If that mindset was fixed, it was fixed. <laughs> but with that mm -hmm. said, and I know we'll mm -hmm. return to this discussion, sure. there's hope yeah. because at the conclusion of the study, you note these fixed mindsets may not be quite so, so fixed. fixed. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Wonderfully. That's right. That's right. So the main finding in this paper, um, I can sort of tell you a little bit about what we did. 
Um, among college faculty, it's the largest study of college faculty's self-reported mindset beliefs. So we ask faculty, what do you think about student ability? Is it relatively fixed yes. and can't be changed very much? Or is it malleable and can be developed um, by applying these right strategies? Um, and so we measured this. And then what we did was we took two years of data from each of those faculty members classes, every single student that they touched in the last two years in terms of the influence in their classroom, and it was over 150,000, or it was actually over 15,000 students, yes, yes. Um, and so we Impressive. had 150 faculty and 15,000 students, and um, it's basically a census of the students that these faculty influence. And what we found there was that um, in the fixed faculty context, when faculty self-report more of these fixed mindset beliefs, we see the same racial achievement gap that we tend to see persistent, unfortunately, in much of higher education. So this is sort of the same racial achievement gap in STEM classes that the NSF reports on year after year, um, and that is relatively persistent um, across institutions. Um, and so those fixed faculty contexts look very similar to that. What was fascinating was that when faculty endorsed more of a growth mindset, those racial achievement gaps are cut in half. Yes. And on top of that, we looked at course evaluations in these classes because we wanted to see what a student's experiences um, in these classes taught by more um, fixed mindset faculty or growth mindset faculty. And what we found there um, was that students reported that faculty's pedagogy was different across the context. So growth mindset faculty, the ones that endorse these growth mindset beliefs, are emphasizing more development, putting um, emphasis on learning and improvement over time in their courses, really emphasizing that for students and, and bringing that to bear for students. Um, students also reported more motivation to do their best work they said, I am motivated to do my best work in these classes relative to those significantly. And they were more likely to recommend the courses to their peers, right? And this has an implication for student motivation. It also has an effect on performance. We found that everyone, regardless of their racial or ethnic background, performed better in courses that were taught with faculty, taught by faculty who had more growth mindset beliefs, who reported more growth mindset beliefs. Um, the effect was larger, however, for racial and ethnic minority students. That was our black, Latino, and Native American students. And when thinking about why that might be, you know, um, one question that I get oftentimes is, well, is this just a cohort effect? Is it just sort of the older, you know, cohort of faculty, these ideas about fixed intelligence, maybe those are just outdated ideas that as we have new faculty come through, it'll sort of turn over in time, sort of naturally. And so we looked at that. We looked at whether or not, what are the demographic characteristics that actually predict faculty mindset? And we're not finding anything related to that hypothesis. So it's not the age of the faculty member. It's not their tenure status, whether a lecturer or a tenure track or tenured professor. It's not their gender. It's not um, their race. It's not an older person versus younger person. So their age um, was not a predictor. Instead, I think what we're seeing is that this is a socialized phenomenon, that in some of our disciplines, you know, we are socialized to sort of um, think about intelligence as fixed or malleable. And um, it also could be an experience sort of factor that um, you know, many faculty interpret their experience in one way or another um, through their interactions with students. And so I think that we need to understand more about where these mindset beliefs come from. 
But as you say, the good news is that both these beliefs and the behaviors, the way in which faculty are actually communicating these mindset beliefs in class, are themselves malleable, right? And you make the point that one of the reasons faculty might not pursue particular pedagogies is if that mindset is fixed, if I may quote you in the paper, it's <laughs> why waste my time with these innovative pedagogies if, this my, if that student is, I'm not gonna move the needle right. on the meter for that student. So I thought that was a very interesting observation. I really hadn't thought about that, but it's almost as if you've already determined the final grade, and again, you note in the paper, sometimes after the first exam, you're in that mindset, and it's just very difficult to shift mm -hmm. that thinking. Mm -hmm. That's right, that's right. Um, I think one of the things I've discovered as we've gone around the country sort of talking about this work and getting faculty perspectives on this, getting students perspectives on the research and what we're finding, um, you know, I'm actually surprised by the amount, uh, faculty are moved by data, right? And when they see there's an evidence-based reason to make some changes, and that by making these changes, we might be able to move the lever on student motivation and performance, they, their next question is how, yeah. right? How am I gonna do this? I'm excited to adopt these practices. I wanna learn about how to do this. And as long as I can do it in an authentic way, right? That yes. it sort of is related to the way that I would typically teach or the way that I would you know, teach my content, if there's a different way to spin the content or to um, you know, frame the content, um, different ways to introduce the class on the first day of class, right? The different ways to give feedback, different ways to respond when students make mistakes when they raise their hand and maybe get the question wrong, right? These are the kinds of things that we can sort of work with faculty on um, to communicate more of a growth mindset and at the same time measure how that is effective. Um, so, you know, we've talked to faculty a lot about, you know, what's in it for them. Faculty don't like to be in classes or to be teaching classes when you ask a question and no one feels comfortable to raise their hand, right? Because they don't want to look stupid. They don't want to get things wrong. They don't want to be vulnerable in that moment. But if you create these growth mindset cultures in their class, it spurs that kind of motivation and that willingness to become vulnerable because mistakes then are just opportunities to learn. And in fact, you're creating an opportunity for the entire class when you raise your hand and you get something wrong, right? Absolutely. If we can frame our culture that way within our classrooms, I think yes. we're gonna have more engagement, which is ultimately beneficial for students, but also more engaging for faculty too, right? Yes. And as what we saw in the paper, higher teaching evaluations, which yes, doesn't hurt. Of course, <laughs> it fuels passion, right? That's that right. interactivity and that That's energy right. is like closing that chakra loop and that electricity in the classroom yeah. spins on itself and it begins to grow and duplicate. Right. Mary, would you say after spending a decade mm -hmm. in this work, and of course it's never done, I suspect you'll be at this for, for mm -hmm. the next decade, would you say that confronting this notion of the work we have to do with mindset mm -hmm. is one of the greatest challenges for higher education and very specifically one of the greatest challenges that stands before higher education and its two most important goals mm -hmm. making education accessible for everyone mm -hmm. and always working at building the commonwealth mm -hmm. would you say and again you, you know we're privileged to have your expertise mm -hmm. in this area Mary, is this one of the big ones? Mm -hmm. I do think that this is 
a central challenge that higher education is facing. Um, but I think mindset is just one piece of it. I think that the biggest challenge is really around access, yes, as you said, but also translating that access into equity when it comes to graduation. Um, so we have been seeing schools make a lot of progress in terms of admissions and um, financial aid packages and that sort of thing in terms of being able to provide access to people from middle and low income backgrounds. Um, but turning that access into actual graduation and delivering on the promise of higher education, which the data suggests is there, right? If you have a college education, you're able to make more money as an adult, you're able to support family. Um, if you're from a middle or lower class background, it helps move the family and community up in many cases. Um, and so how do we turn that access into graduation? And that's been the puzzle that has really fascinated me my whole career and that I plan to spend the rest of my <laughs> career on, really understanding from the student's perspective. Right. What are the barriers and challenges that students encounter as they come into colleges and universities that are disrupting their pathway to graduation? Because we need to get them to graduation, right? That's right. The, the data and the research show us that even though some growth will occur with any amount of higher education, mm -hmm we don't really empower the students economically over their lifetime until they own that diploma. That's right, that's right. And so we have been spending a lot of time thinking about what are those barriers um, to graduation. And a lot of it is to take students' perspectives and really understand not just the structural barriers, which are substantial and important, but also some of the social and psychological barriers and how we as institutions are communicating with our students in ways that might be unintentionally um, signaling to them that maybe they're not as valued or respected on campus as we would want them to feel and want them to be. Um, so we have been looking at some of the messages that institutions send around sense of belonging on campus. What we know from the research is that um, students come to campus oftentimes with these expectations that this is you know, a whole new world, I'm interested in my college experience, it's going to go great, and then they inevitably have these challenges where you know, they're in the dorms and a bunch of their friends decide to go get dinner and they didn't get invited. Or you know, there's a club call out and nobody reached out to them to participate. Um, or they feel as though they asked a question in class and the faculty member either ignored them or sort of made them feel stupid in the class, right? All of these things, or, that's right, yes, that's right. And yes. all of these things create a sense of belonging uncertainty. Do I belong here? Am I valued? Am, can I actually be my whole self and find friends and a community in order to support uh, yes. me and to really belong? And so what we've been doing in, in a bunch of studies is actually trying to help students understand that belonging is not this sort of offer on process. You either belong or you don't. But it's a process that occurs over time and that there are many ways to come to feel as though you belong through the course of your college career. And by setting those more realistic standards, um, we actually find that students mm -hmm. are able to interpret these inevitable challenges that they're going to have with this kind of lens of, aha, it's not just me, and it's not just my group, it's actually all of us that are experiencing these kinds of ups and downs yes. when it comes to our sense of belonging, and yes. that there are strategies I can take 
to find my niche of belonging, right? To actually yes. come to feel at home. Mary, I and love hearing that because yeah. we need to come at it from both ends. That's it right. A, it's a 50-50 responsibility. Yeah. No matter how hard the faculty member is working, if the student doesn't come into this relationship with us, we probably aren't going to experience that great level of success. That's it's right. Exciting That's aspect right. Of That's the right. Research. And when we talk about belonging, you know, one of the most important things I think is to really understand um, how feelings of non-belonging actually come to impact the learning process. Yes. So, you know, there's a whole science of learning, and what we know is that when students are really having to be vigilant to cues about whether I belong here, whether I'm valued, whether I'm respected, it actually takes cognitive resources to attend to those cues. So when I'm in my classroom and I'm looking at whether or not my peers or my professor values and respects me, part of my cognitive resources are spent on that and the other part are placed on taking notes, paying attention to the content, right? Yes. Really encoding the information that I'm then yeah. going to have to recall. So it truly is a question of divided yeah. attention, yes. um, and it creates inequities in the learning environment, well, right? Well, we know we can't multitask. Multitasking is a myth. That's right. That's right. You're really only working on one thing at a time. That's right. And yeah. if some students are really concerned because of the way society has been historically structured around privilege and benefits being sort of doled out in terms of race or gender in society, some of our students are going to come to higher education and wonder, can I trust you? Can I, do you, do you believe in my abilities, right? Um, can I be my full self here? Do you respect me? And so they're going to be tuned to those cues in the environment. And so we play a large role as an institution and also as faculty members um, to really create those signals. The growth mindset beliefs is just one of those ways, right? That I believe that everything that you need to be successful here is going to be provided in this context, right? Yes. We're going to work together. If you have questions, come to my office hours, ask me, right? Start to study in study groups, do the problem sets. Any kinds of questions that you have, I'm here to help you, right? And I believe that everyone yes. can learn and develop in this context. If we communicate yes. that, it's going to lift all boats. So important. And as we noted earlier in the conversation, if a professor is in a fixed mindset that why should I use an innovative technique with students who won't be able to grow, if the student believes she will not be able to grow, why would she invest her energy in trying to grow, right? right. So it's the same kind of a challenge in both ends. And again, I really appreciate how the research you've been working on has acknowledged the complexity mm -hmm. of this, we'll just call it a challenge, not a problem. <laughs> it's just, a, it's, it's just right. a part of the work that we do as we practice our craft That's right. every day. That's right. Mary, would you say, and I think I, think I know what the answer would be, but mm -hmm. I, I want us to discuss this. Would you say that teaching in particular, what we do in that mm -hmm. classroom as we practice our craft, might present unique pathways to understand and explicate the challenges before higher ed and maybe find unique pathways to solutions. Absolutely. I think that one of the things that um, as I talk to faculty about this work and get their perspective on it, you know, one of the things that I hear hit home most is that we as faculty, we're the culture creators of our classrooms, right? If not us that is creating the culture in the classroom, who, right? <laughs> and so we have this large role beyond the content that we're teaching, right? To create a culture of growth mindset, right? For ourselves, 
asking yes. for feedback. How are we doing as instructors? And also for our students, what really motivates them, right? And how can I use those tools um, and that knowledge of my yeah. students to really um, make the material relevant to them and to get them to be engaged uh, in this work, to see how what they're learning in my class is going to be useful to them in the long term. I think those kinds of strategies around sort of growth mindset teaching practices, um, how we um, talk about class and the ways to be successful. I think you put it really well when you talked about pathways to success. Um, in other work that we've been doing, we've been video recording faculty as they teach. And you know we have their self-reported mindset beliefs, and we're really looking from the bottom up. What is the pedagogy? What? How is this different in terms the of the behaviors? What's right, the exactly between stuff faculty who endorse yeah. more of a fixed mindset yes. and more of a growth mindset. Yes. And we're really starting to be able to come to an understanding of the important practices that are communicating this to students. Again, creating that yeah. growth mindset culture. So how do we introduce yeah. the first day? How do we give feedback? Day, that's Mary, right. That's right. First day. <laughs> and how do we give feedback <laughs> yes, um, when course. students are disappointed with their tests? Right. How do we actually um, talk about the ways to be successful yes. and that students can play a large role in that success yes. by pursuing the right strategies? Right. Face Asking to their face, questions. Face to face Come and, and see online, me. That's right. right? That's Both, right. I mean, Mary, in this. At this time, we're on such an exciting precipice in higher education. Right. We really are thinning that veil mm -hmm. between online and face-to-face. -face. I think you're with me when we would both agree all of this needs to be happening whether it's the virtual classroom or the brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I think that online is going to pose some unique challenges, right? Um, we know that part of these um, growth mindset cultures is really how um, a faculty member communicates what's valued in the class, um, whether it is sort of effort, persistence, and applying the right strategies, or whether it's some kind of innate brilliance that you might come in the door with and then you're going to leave with at the end of class, right? Um, and so being able to communicate that and being able to show that in the relationships with students is something that we're going to have to figure out how to do online. Um, we also need to figure out how to do it in the brick and mortar classrooms, um, which we're sort of moving towards, right? Um, some strategies around that. Um, but I think online, it's going to be particularly important to be very explicit about these beliefs, right? That in the classroom, we might be able to do it through more of you know, the way that we frame our tests, the way that we give feedback on the test, the way that we um, set up uh, difficult work when we know that a problem is al has always caught up students, this particular topic has always caught up students. So how do I show that to students? That this is going to be difficult, but we're going to get through it together, right? So students don't interpret that difficulty in a, in a maladaptive way. Um, so I think we have to be very explicit when we're online because we don't have a lot of those um, nonverbal, ongoing kind of face-to-face -face relationships where a lot of this can be communicated. Totally. Mary, would you say that currently, mm -hmm. campus to campus, and this is a broad question and I don't mean to ask you to speak for all campuses everywhere, <laughs> but I will. Uh, <laughs> do you think we are currently doing enough in the academy yeah. to prepare young teachers to not only be content experts, we certainly expect that of them and they bring mm -hmm. that talent and gift to our campuses mm -hmm. coast to coast. But would, from what you've seen, your experiences, your research, are we doing enough to help them know, help them learn how to be the best teachers in mm -hmm. those content areas? Mm -hmm. Understanding notions. Yeah, I think, the, I think the short answer has to be no. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in my experience <laughs> with faculty around the country, when I've yes. gone to talk about this work, you know, many faculty talk about this, that, you know, I'm teaching mostly through what I experienced myself as a learner. So I either sort of gravitate towards the strategies that really I felt worked for me, and I kind of push away the strategies that I felt like really didn't work for me. Um, but a lot of us are just winging it. <laughs> well, based on our well, own experience. We don't and get a lot of on-the-job uh, training or orientation, I should say. It's like all on-the-job training. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and there's a whole science of learning, as we said. Absolutely. Um, and so really understanding how students learn, what are the environments that we create and that we control um, as faculty that can be conducive to motivation and engagement and learning in the classroom. Um, right, there are practices that we can engage in while we're teaching the content, right, that create these, this community of learners, right, that creates yes. these growth mindset cultures where everyone, including ourselves, have a growth mindset about our own teaching ability, right? Um, and so I think that as, as we consider um, the best practices around training the new professorate, I think we really need to be focusing on pedagogy. We need to be focusing on um, and aligning the incentives to really learn and, and focus in this area. You know, why not create a course evaluation item that talks about the extent to which we've created an inclusive, brave space in our classroom where people feel comfortable raising their hand even if they're uncertain they have the right answer, where people feel as though they can make mistakes, right? Where people feel as though um, the faculty member values them as individuals and their groups and what they contribute to the classroom. To what extent does this faculty member create an, an inclusive um, learning environment, right? Why not put these kinds of questions on our course evaluation so faculty can get the data and really see um, the extent to which they are creating those conducive environments that will support all students' learning. And so we give the student a voice to be able to calibrate That's right. their progress on the belonging scale, understanding right. that this is also a complex uh, situation where we will grow into that belonging. That's right. So owning that opportunity to evaluate that is a self-evaluation as well. Mary, do you think that we've got the right stuff to engage in a higher degree of professional development for the young professorate or do we need more stuff do we have the resources and we just need to leverage them differently or is there room to grow in terms of campuses actually creating architecture to support these issues yeah i i think that many campuses have put significant resources into centers for teaching and learning um, and I think that those centers focus a lot on the science of learning and development for students. Um, I would say that I don't feel as though we focus enough on the psychology of students and how we create environments by which students are experiencing um, their own sense of self and the instructor and that interaction between instructor and student. Um, so really trying to understand from students' perspectives, what are the cues that really signal value and respect and belonging and interest and belief in one's ability, right? What are those cues? And I think we haven't focused particularly on those kinds of structural changes that faculty could make in the way they structure their courses? Do they have just say a midterm and a final, two high stakes exams where it's like, show me what you know and that's it? Or do we have opportunity and is, is um, 
you know, credit uh, distributed in such a way that we really reward growth and development and we can show students that. Are there enough self-assessments that students can really see where they need to put more time and attention or try a different strategy in order to grow and develop their knowledge in a particular content area? Um, so, you know, thinking through what would be the changes and why from the perspective of students would these changes actually be useful to creating the you know, most motivated learning environment that we can create. One of the most uh, treasured parts of your work for me is the way you have unpacked equity and you have connected it to belonging and connected it to self-identification uh, because I think many times we hear that word equity, it feels so big and vacuous mm -hmm. uh, that we're not quite sure how we individually come at that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think a part of what your work has done is you've given us this infrastructural understanding of how we can, mm -hmm. can begin to construct equity or minimally uh, deconstruct barriers and build bridges. Right. Mary, if I asked you this afternoon in, in concluding our conversation, mm -hmm to take that crystal ball out from behind your chair and <laughs> give it a couple swipes and look inside of it. May I ask, do you feel that as we move to the future in higher education, these issues and challenges we've articulated today, are those ones that you feel will persist? Or as you look to mm -hmm. over the horizon, mm -hmm. the future of higher ed, do you see new ones, new challenges that we might confront mm -hmm. in the future? I want us to solve the challenges that are in front of us. <laughs> and I think that these challenges are going to grow if we don't do something to confront them now. Um, I think that we're only going to be seeing a more, if we're lucky, we are only going to be seeing a more diverse student body um, that we admit and then hopefully support to graduation students from low and middle income um, backgrounds, students from um, different racial and ethnic minority groups that are not, ha haven't always had the same level of access to higher education. And I think that we as instructors need to learn how to create these environments that are going to be supportive of all students, right? And what we found over and over in the research is that these kinds of pedagogical practices um, are good for everyone. Remember that in the paper, the growth mindset culture in these classrooms lifted all boats. Everybody performed better. But because students really understand the history of higher education and how their group has been treated historically in it, they're vigilant. They're more vigilant to these cues about belonging. Can I trust you? Can I be myself? Will you respect me? Do you think that I have what it takes to be successful here? And so these students who ha come to college with those kinds of questions, given the way we've structured our society, when we as professors can answer that in the affirmative, yes, you're valued, right? You and you and you, right? And I believe all of you can develop what it takes to do well in, in this class and also in college, right? When we can communicate that, it's going to be taken up by all students and it's going to be particularly meaningful to students who come from backgrounds where those messages have not historically been provided to them, right? Um, and so as culture creators, let's create that culture of equity, right? Um, where all students can be um, supported and motivated and, and do their best, reach their potential. I love looking in my crystal ball and seeing the brighter day that you are creating, Mary Murphy. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us in this great conversation today. Thank you.